There we go. Let me get some intro music going for the crew. What's up, y'all? What's going on? That's hot for teacher, by the way. I just had to start with a little Van Halen to get my day started off right. What's going on, y'all? Welcome to another episode of the In His Own Podcast. It's your boy, B. Foster. Rod Foster's in the building. This is my first live stream, not in studio in quite some time. So welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Anybody know a new studio? Because my last show was on What's In It For The Black People's Wednesday. Little brother know I need a new home. If not, you go catch me right here on my own page, goddammit. Happy Saturday. I hope everybody is staying um, safe, first and foremost. If you're somewhere where it's cold, Hope you're staying warm. If you're somewhere where it's warm, fuck you. Um, I'm not happy about any of that, but no. Uh, to another episode of the In The Zone podcast. Let me welcome my panel real fast. Uh, my co-hostess with the mostest on a second episode, my girl <laughs> Sean. What's happening, baby? I'm here. I'm here to have this conversation. Excited to talk to everybody and get those perspectives. That's what's up. That's what's up. Coming from the East Coast, longtime friend of mine, one of my faves. Haven't seen her face in a long time. It's so good to see her, my homie, Monda Kelly. What's going on, baby? Hey, Brian. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Good to see you. Look at, look at she going. Now she's going to be real short because I told her not to talk to her. We'll see how long. <laughs> well, you <laughs> said brevity. You did I say brevity. Besides a hello, what do you need? Um, we're going to boost your energy up. And then my man, 50 grand, my frat, known him longer than I can to admit at this point, but this is my guy, <laughs> Derek D. Bass. What's happening, brother? B. Foss, what's going on, good brother, man? It's good to see everybody. Happy to be here this morning. West Coast. So we got the Central yes, Time Zone, the West Coast, and the East Coast all represented here. Um, as you all know, we've been having this conversation, and you know, a lot of us are local, meaning Chicago, so we've been basing it around the CPS and CTU uh, dispute for lack of a better word. Uh, but this is a conversation that's happening nationally, right? Should kids be in school? Should we be Should we be in virtual learning? Are schools safe spaces for not only the children, but for the, the uh, teachers and administrative staff and everybody else that works in the school buildings, the parents of the students, the grandparents of the students? Are, are, is this a safe environment? Um, and if it's not, is virtual learning gonna be efficient for all of us, particularly our brown and black kids? Uh, so we're going to dive into that. Uh, we've got some divergent viewpoints, which is why we've got this crew together. Mine is a longtime uh, teacher uh, out east. The Bass is an administrator out west. Uh, Chantel and I both have children. Uh, I have one at CPS. Chantel, your baby don't go to CPS, does she? No, my baby goes to private school, so. Fucking rich ass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't your two youngest go to private school? No, oh, no, they no, did no, at no. one point. They go to public school. Thank you very much. Just not that's now. That's now. <laughs> now they spent the first few years in Catholic school, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, not by my choice, damn it. I'm just saying. But Mama said, no. <laughs> but finally, Daddy twisted that arm and said, "Get him in this public school, paying all these taxes." But anyway, putting all my business out there. Anyway, that's not the point. Um, so let's kick it off. Just so everybody knows a little bit of my history and where I kind of land on this, uh, and why I land on this. Both of my parents, uh, educators, principals, CPS for a long time. Uh, my uncle was in charge of payroll for CPS for many, many years. Most of my uh, aunts and uncles were teachers in CPS. Uh, I worked for CPS in various capacities over the years, not teaching, but doing some other things, uh, during breaks and winter breaks and summer breaks and other things while I was in college. Uh, I've actually subbed before. So have, I went to CPS schools, so I have a deep, connection to public school education. 
uh, both of my oldest kids, products of public school education, uh, CPS in particular. So I, I understand our teachers and the size they're coming from. I'm feeling our parents, where they're coming from. And I'm as uh, a child of principals, I understand where the admin is coming from. So I'll say this up front. I think it's a little bit of a problem on both ends. I know both of you know both sides on the on the, the um, admin side, the union side, the CPS side are throwing arrows at each other. Uh, I think this was a problem caused by both, but I'm curious to see what you all think. Manda, I'm going to start with you. Do you think right now, and I know you all are going through similar issues, it's safe to be in schools? Should schools be in session? If not, why? And if so, how can we keep everybody safe? It's definitely not safe for these kids to be in school or for the educators to be in school. Uh, the numbers are too high. I know here in DC, we are like number two or three for cases. We might even be number one right now. Um, our numbers skyrocketed so fast. It was, it was crazy. And we have had a, uh, the number of kids being admitted to hospital for uh, the COVID, this is, is ridiculous. It's off the, it's off the, the charts to the point where the hospitals around here are saying, don't come here unless you're about to die. Like literally they are like, we, they've canceled everything. Don't come here unless you're about to die. So it's not safe. That being said, no teacher, uh, most teachers would tell you, not all, most would tell you that teaching virtually was hard, is hard. Nobody really wants to do it. There's very few that do. I mean, there are some and, you know, God love them, you know, but it is a hard thing to do. That being said, we need at least two weeks for this to calm down. People have been traveling. People have been out and about. No one's been following protocols. People are acting like we aren't even in a pandemic anymore. They just doing whatever they want to do, living their best life with a cloth mask, which isn't covering anything, if, if they're even wearing a mask. We need at least two weeks where everybody just goes home and sits down. Honestly, if we had done this way back at the beginning of the pandemic and everybody just went in the house and nobody left for six weeks, we might not be where we are right now. But we are, and that being said, we need time. We need everybody to, if you have COVID right now, two weeks will give you time to get over it. If you don't have it, two weeks will make sure that you're not gonna catch it. And then we can come back and try this again. But the fact that you won't even let us go virtual that's ridiculous. When I heard that the mayor shut those teachers out when they were willing to teach, to pivot to virtual is not an easy thing to do. And the fact that these teachers were willing in one night to pivot to virtual instruction tells you what you have to know. They were willing to do it. It's not an easy thing to do. Your mayor's wrong. Your mayor's just wrong. Okay. D-Bass, what you thinking from the administration? <laughs> uh, I mean... I think it's not even from the the administration side, it's the human side, right? Um, I, I often revert back to my why and why I got into this um, and why I got into education because I'm a career changer, right? Like I came from the, the financial industry, MBA, all of those things. And that, that wasn't my passion, education was. Um, and I, I agree with men, right? Like the, the cases are high, but unfortunately, the reports that came out today and that has been coming out, COVID isn't going anywhere. Um, and so at the end of the day, all of the adults who are making decisions on what's best for kids or what's best, we have our education. Um, and, and this shutdown of school or not wanting to work or not wanting to go back to school, unfortunately, only affects black and brown students. Um, the, the more affluent African-American families and the more affluent Caucasian families, they can supplement their child's education with a tutor. Um, and so for me, that's not why I got an education. I got into this thing to work specifically with black and brown students. So that's where my point of view comes from. Um, I believe remote learning is terrible. I mean, it's terrible. I, I, I've observed it. I've seen the issues with it. Um, it's more, it's, 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 a, it's a teaching thing, right? Because teachers who struggle inside the classroom definitely will struggle virtually. Um, it's an infrastructure thing. Our families don't have strong internet infrastructure. So to get and watch um, instruction and to see it pause every five minutes. You got cats walking in the background. I mean, you got kids doing everything but learning. Like you literally see their heads down like this. It's because they playing a video game, right? And so like that's that's putting our kids that look like us back behind the eight ball that they already are coming from behind. Sean? So 
I don't really have a dog in this fight, right? Um, as Brian has said, I'm a product of CPS. So at elementary, high school, I am a product of CPS. Um, and I'm really here to just learn, right? I, my daughter goes to private school. And one of the things I appreciate about CPS is that they're not um, mandated by the parents. My daughter's school is private and everything they do is about what the parents want. The, she goes to a predominantly white school, a predominantly wealthy school, and those parents want their kids in school, regardless of if the mother is at home, they are committed to those kids being in school, regardless of where the numbers are, which as a parent concerns me, right? Because those kids and those parents have been open where they have said, you know, if you're asking us question about our status, if you're asking us if we test positive, we're going to stop telling you and we'll just send our kids to school. And if you get infected, you get infected. And I've had plenty of conversations where those white parents are like, we don't see the big deal. These kids need to be, I, they can't be home with me. It's just too much stress. They need to be in school. So I don't have a lot of questions and I will you know, ask questions as I go along, but I'm more curious about how CPS and CTU are handling this because if you get into the whole private schools perspective, I definitely have a lot of opinions there, but um, I'm really just here to learn. Sean, let me ask you a question, Sean. Absolutely. Is, is your school virtual, hybrid, or in session? It depends. So my daughter, um, she's currently in third grade, but her entire second grade, the school gave the option for the kids to be virtual. So she spent the entire second grade virtual. She was one of 3% of kids that were virtual. The rest of the school were in school. And the school did, an, did actually a pretty good job, from my opinion, on how they handled the few kids that were virtual. Um, but they have plans in place if they do need to go virtual. And yes, it's a wealthy school, so they have far more resources than CPS does. Um, but it doesn't stop the kids from having a hard time. They, the kids were still having a very difficult time. I actually ended up being very lucky where my daughter thrived virtually. There were plenty of white kids who struggled, who couldn't focus, who were playing games, who were running off screen, who were taking naps. So I will say, while I don't disagree that black and brown people have disadvantages with the internet or things like that, I think kids in general struggle with not being able to interact with each other. Um, and I think that. Um, not to negate that we're in a pandemic, right? We are in a pandemic and we do have to manage that. But I think overall kids just struggle not having that personal interaction with themselves, amongst themselves and with the teachers. Well, I mean, I, think I agree with a, that. Hold on real quick, Mona, and then I'll just jump back in. I think that's that's exactly right. And that was oftentimes forgotten in these conversations. We always just think about the educational components. And we're not talking about the social emotional components uh, that our kids need to have. With interactions with each other right being stuck in the house facetiming each other or i aming each other with i mean it's something but it's not the same so we, we have to take those things in consideration and factors in consideration as well what what i will say and i and Mata, maybe you're about to touch on this if not uh, speak your piece and then jump in on us later i am curious how both of you feel about hybrid learning and i ask this because some kids do all right with hybrid. Some, my youngest thrived, I mean, excuse me, in uh, virtually. He, he did. He just did better than he did in a normal classroom. I don't know why, but he was able to focus more. Um, my daughter didn't do as well. She did fine, but she prefers in person. Um, but from a teaching perspective, I'm wondering how, how you manage a hybrid system where you got five kids on a computer and, and 15 kids in front of you and how you juggle that back and forth. Are you, a, are you guys proponents of that? Do you think that works? Mata, go ahead, finish whatever your thought was and then jump in. Well, I'll come back to that, Brian, because I wasn't going to get there. But first, Shanta, I, I completely agree with you about these, these white parents because I teach in a predominantly white school and I teach in a D.C. Unfortunately, is mayoral control. They just act like our school board's not there. So she does whatever the parents with money want to do. Yeah. And they don't want to parent their kids. They not don't. saying necessarily <laughs> my parents, but I'm saying like overall in general, across the nation, people who are pushing for their children to go back to school want the teachers to parent their kids because that's what they're used to across the nation. You know, P teachers, we do way too much for, you know, we're contracted from eight to 3.30. Yet we are working, I get up most days between four and 4.30 and I'm working from probably pretty much the time I get up until I walk out the door to go to work at about 6.45, seven in the morning and I work all day. And then I work from 3.30 to God knows when I'm going to stop working at night. Um, 
and and we do all kinds of things for our kids. I have kids in at lunch. I have kids who who email me. I still have kids who I've taught two, three years ago who email me. So there's a lot of parents who just don't want to parent their kids. And that's why I feel like when you when you look at places like private schools and stuff where you're open and that's what's driving that mess there, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> as far as like virtual, I there, there are some kids who thrive in virtual situations. I had kids who who had, you know, personally told me, you know, when I was in school, it was just too many distractions, you know, kid X was popping off. And so, you know, the teacher had to keep stopping so that, you know, and in virtual kid X can pop off all he wants. I'm gonna mute him and keep going what I got to do, because you're not going to take from the other 22 kids in my class who are trying to learn hybrid situations. I just this year, I had half of my class out. One kid got COVID the other, there were 10 close contacts. And so they took them all out. Um, and so I had some of them on my screen and I had the ones in person and it was the, you know, everybody got what they needed, but I was, I was done by the end of the day. Like, I was like, nobody talked to me. I'm leaving. I'm taking all my stuff. I'll work from home. Don't call me. I don't want to see any of you till tomorrow. So, I mean, I prefer an all virtual situation. I made it work. Um, I, I did, you know, I just shifted everything to it and it worked fine. Um, I want to go back to what Derek was saying about the equality of it all. If your district is not making it equal, then yes, virtual is going to be very hard. I know here in DC, they have done a better job. I'm not saying it's great, but a better job. All students, um, grade three and up might be second and it might be second and up now, but they made sure every one of them had laptops. I mean, are they jankified? Yes. Do they work for what we need? Yes. Um, and then the Comcast made deals so that everybody could have Wi-Fi in their house. So if your district isn't doing that, then yeah, it makes it really hard for virtual to work. But if your district is willing to put in that effort and tr at least try, then it can happen. Now, that's not saying there's always going to be kids who fall through the cracks because those are the same kids who come to school dirty and hungry every day, whose parents are struggling in general. There's the language gap. There's a lot of things that fall into this situation. I think the biggest problem we've had is when we shifted back from virtual to classroom, everybody went back to things as usual. Things as usual are what, what needs to happen. Everybody's trying to act like this, we're going back to normal. I keep hearing everybody say, oh, I can't wait to things. Things are never going to be normal again. The problem is, is that we spent two, 18 months virtually and nobody did anything to try to get ready for what it was going to look like when we came back. That's, now that's, and because of that, we're still having this same discussion. That's a good point. I want, I want Bass to jump in on that because that was going to be one of my, fo my follow-up questions. Like, we knew that the numbers were going to spike coming off holiday break. We knew that there was going to be another surge. I mean, the science said so. Why aren't we prepared? with a plan so we haven't gotten to this point particularly in chicago where we got to shut things down and talk about it yeah I, brian i think and that goes back to just you know you see my facebook post man and i and i just do that to spur the conversation right and to bring different perspectives but at the end of the day um one i think people are starting not to trust the science um especially when you get reports that oh these business executives have played a role in cutting the number of quarantine days down so now is it about science or is it about profit um, so if you're trusting the science to make decisions and then these things come out, the naysayers or the people that were on the fence or in between begin not to trust the science. Um, I think uh, both parties in Chicago played a role and they knew that this was coming, but they decided to wait to Monday of January 3rd to make a decision. Um, and it became, a, a, excuse my word, excuse my, my term here, but a pissing contest to see who can pee the longest, who can pee the furthest. And at the end of the day, kids are affected, right? Um, I think there are just multiple layers here. The pandemic has uncovered things that we've been trying to cover up with Band-Aids and now it's a gunshot wound and now we need to figure out what's happening. Um, learning and urban education in school districts have, it hasn't been high quality for a while. Hence, you had the beginning of the charter school movement, the beginning of the public school movement so that parents can be afforded the ability to have choice. Um, and so that now that a parent has choice, you've entered charter schools in the mix where they can have a free public school choice 
that is supposedly supposed to be better than their regular neighborhood public school for the parents who can't afford Catholic school. So like there are multiple layers here that the pandemic has just uncovered. Um, so, I mean, there, there, yeah, this conversation can go all the way around, but um, man, let's speak a little bit about it, right? Like my charter network has put in work to, to do the work, but I feel like we're still a long way. Um, our school is a one-to-one -one technology school, so we're blessed to have that, but most big school districts are not. We know that funding counts. So a school that's located in an impoverished neighborhood versus a school that's located in a high park, that funding is different. Um, that funding is way different. So high park might be able to afford laptops for every student, as opposed to a school like Tilden, where we can barely afford to fill the building. Um, we have four floors. Tilden is a block loan. We literally have four floors in there and we probably had 237 students in there when I was there, right? And so like, that's, that's telling because there were also six schools in that area that families were able to go to. So it's, just, it's a bunch of different factors that I think sometimes people from the outside looking in are just like, oh, why don't we just do this? Why don't we just do that? Why don't we, it's, it's a bunch, man. You talked about pay. If we're not paying teachers, B, then we're never, our teachers are never going to adopt or educators are never going to adopt this mindset of like the work that we do doesn't match the pay that we get. Absolutely. And that's on all, that's on all levels, right? Amanda talks about her, her contract time is from eight to three 30, right? But most teachers are working on this day right now, Saturday morning to prepare for students that are coming back sure or was. to prepare for the next step. Right. And so, <clears throat> um, we always talk about educators being essential and all those other things, but our pay doesn't match essential pay, right? So we just have to, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work, B, that's got to be done, man. And I, I see it from both sides. I see it from the educator side. I see it from the principal side. But everything that I always say and do is always rooted in kids. And so just because we're not getting paid that amount, we still got to get that kid a chance to have high quality education. Um, and so that for some, they like, fuck, F these kids. And <laughs> for others, it's like, this is passion. This is mission-driven work. Nobody went into education with like, yo, I'm gonna be rich. Like, I'm gonna be a millionaire because I'm an educator. No, like you went into this at some point because your why was making sure kids had a better opportunity to be great. Um, and sometimes in the mix of the adult bureaucratic bullshit, that gets lost. And that's where we are now. That's why you see this pissing contest between the union, the mayor, and the board. And in the middle, everybody that's being lost are kids or that's losing our kids. Can, can I push back though? I wanna say, I don't know that the union itself just as a union person, cause I completely in solidarity with the, you know, we're red for Ed, uh, for the union. The decisions that come from the union and Chicago has a, a strong teachers union. And I say that just looking at their leadership and the things that they have been able to do and, and get for their teachers and for the education itself, amazing. Um, but I know everybody was like, they waited to the last minute. Unfortunately, when it comes to the union's position, we, we are putting those positions where it looks like we're coming in at the last minute because we're waiting on these districts, mayors, in, in Chicago's case, the school board and the mayor here, just the mayor and our chancellor to make these decisions that they say that they're going to make, that the promises that they're going to keep. And they, they don't, and then the union is forced the last minute to pivot on a dime and say, well, we're, we're willing to, you know, to do this. Because if they really were not about trying to educate the kids, they would have said, we're just gonna call out. And they don't have, they have a, a no strike clause in their union contract, the same as we do here in DC. So they could have striked, they've, they've gone on strike before. But all they said was, we want to switch to virtual till we can get this under control. And your mayor said no and shut everybody out. But man, like, let's call a spade a spade though. Some teachers like, and I and I, I want to make sure that I'm clear with everything that I speak going forward. No one is out, no one is without blame, right? Either side, either party, both parties play a role in this. But we also got to be clear that sometimes it's hard for us as educators because we stand in solidarity with each other, not to call out other educators. We know that all educators are not taking virtual learning seriously. I've had teachers teaching from their bed. I've had teachers showing up in pajamas. I've had teachers teaching from their cell phones. How is that high quality education, right? So like, we gotta make sure that 
nobody falls all in this one bucket, but there are like, they're good doctors, they're bad doctors. They're good police officers, they're bad police officers. And I think sometimes the rap falls on the ones that are not doing the job versus the ones that are doing the job. But until the ones that are doing the work right and doing it with high fidelity, we got to start holding each other accountable. Just like me as a principal, if I know that another principal is like terrible, right? I'm going to call that out because it's about kids. And sometimes we get lost in this solidarity piece where I've had conversations of good friends of mine that are educators and they're like, man, I'm torn. Like, I want to go to work, but I don't want to be called a scat. I, I want to reach out to parents, but I don't want to be look like I'm crossing the picket line. Like, at the end of the day, like, we got to start calling out the, the same effort and energy we want to give to bad policing. We got to give that to bad everything. And that's not happening in education. That's I, I not. Will, and I will agree with you on that. I will say that there are teachers out there who during the virtual situation just were not. And, you know, and I'll be very honest, by the time we got to the end of the school year, I was tired. I was frustrated. I was aggravated. I was, you know, it was a lot to log on to my computer. And, you know, I also was, you know, very sick towards the end of it. You know, I did teach, well, that's very different. I did teach oftentimes from my bed, but I'm sick. So, you know, I was still logging on to teach times my internet went down, I absolutely pulled out my phone because that was the only thing that was working. I, I'm not, I'm not going to even say, and that wasn't me being lazy. That was me trying to make sure that I got it done. There are teachers who completely, I agree with you, are, are just phoning it in and they're done. And I think that this pandemic has made it even more obvious, but those are the same teachers that are scraping by in a classroom, like you said before. And this pandemic really just kind of made it more obvious. That being said, I still don't think it's fair to, you know, I, I mean, I don't care. Anybody can come watch me teach anytime, any place, virtually, not virtually, whatever. Um, but I think asking teachers to have to meet these standards that were, that, you know, during a pandemic, it just wasn't fair. And I think teachers are tired. And Thanks. I think- I think we get asked to do a lot. And I think when we make these minimal asks that, you know, we love our jobs, but at what point does it stop being about for our kids and our jobs, which yes, you're right. None of us walked into this thinking we were going to have money. None of us walked in here thinking that, yes, we all have bills, but at what point does it start becoming about my life again? You're asking me to risk my life. These and numbers are ridiculous. Yeah. Like ask yeah. you're asking us to risk our lives. Agreed. For I, what? $60,000 a year? No, no, no. Agreed. Let me ask you this. Derek made a point earlier about um, COVID is not going anywhere. That's that's just a fact. And I agree with you, Monda, that probably should have been a plan in place, knowing that these numbers are going to spike around holiday time to have some virtual options for at least a couple of weeks to see if we get those numbers under control. But I'll ask you this. Teachers are saying we're risking our lives. We're in a classroom. We're risking our lives. The uh, she's not the the, the uh, yeah. Call it out, B. Yeah, call it out. In, it, the second in command of CTU. I'm not sure what they. If she's the vice president. I, I don't know what they call themselves. Other people on straight vacation. Was in the Caribbean, kicking it during vacation. She wasn't worried about staying at home and staying safe. This this is where my this is where my uh, don't you know the messenger matters. You didn't care about yes. being in the airport with thousands of people from all over the world. But that's because those people, those leaders of those unions aren't in class. Let me finish. Let me finish. That, that's a very specific example. But I also know that I was looking at pictures from the 100 Black Men toy drive here in Chicago during the break. Hundreds of people, thousands maybe, lots of them teachers. And then I'm seeing these posts from these same teachers talking about how unsafe classrooms were. But you were kicking it at the House of Blues with a thousand other people two weeks ago. So how, how, how can I take that message as serious coming from those particular people? Now, you might not be those people, but I know that- You know I'm not those people. You know I'm not. So you, you know that I have spent two years in my house that if they hadn't forced me to go back in the classroom, I'd still be sitting here chilling with my, in my home. That the reason I caught COVID is because my college age kid came home and bring it in the house. And that's, that's it. That's, you know, I'm, I'm serious about my, I'm, my kids wipe their dis- desks down with Clorox wipes and their chairs after each and every class. And I rotate through kids all day long. I'm not playing. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it. But, but what, you're but right. What I'm is, People should I'm, not be. You're right. I hear but, you. 
but but I hold on you. real quick, Mont. I'm sorry, real quick, because that that wasn't really my point. Point that was me on a little rant. My really my real point was, COVID's not going anywhere. How do we manage moving forward? Right, like you your your and I know you've got you know some health issues that 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 speak to, and I know a lot of teachers do. How do how are we going to keep you safe moving forward? Even if we these two weeks bring the numbers down, how, how realistic is it that we can we can continue to keep you we can keep you as safe as we can, but I, there's always going to be some some mitigated risk. I, I don't know how to navigate that. I mean, I think if we we actually did to have that conversation about the fact that after every break, you know, um, whether it be Thanksgiving or the winter break or spring break or, you know, here we get a midwinter break, whatever it is, if you say, you know, for those shorter ones, like a Thanksgiving or wherever people, well, no, Thanksgiving people travel, but like Anytime you have the opportunity where Simmons going to travel, if you say for the two weeks after that, we're going to, we're going to be virtual and it is just what it is. We're going to give ourselves those two weeks to get, you know, everybody back, right. And then come back in. Everybody must test to come back and you must test negative to come in and we continue the mask wearing, you know, then I think that you have done your due diligence. I understand that there is still going to be the uh, the uh, the accidental or the you know the people who are going to come back in and they had tested negative, and then the next day they're going to be popped. I get that, and I'm I'm not saying that you can 100% you know eliminate the risk, but I'm saying why are we not taking those basic steps to try to do some of that? Can so one, where can you get a where where can you get a test from? Where can you get a test? And I'm, and I'm going to be honest, right? Because we've spent this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, my office staff, me included, packing tests to send out to families, right? Um, a couple of things. See, what I've known and what I've heard from CPS, they did that, right? But some of the tests were sitting back, everybody's backlog. If you go on your phone right now and you Google local tests, you can't find an appointment for two to three weeks out. And you definitely can't find an instant test because that's the very first thing that drug stores are telling you when you walk in. So... As we're going through this thing, I think I made the, the statement the other day, we're we're building a plane as we fly. Um, if we were going off of last year, we didn't have this problem because everybody was at home virtually. So we didn't know that to think through like, and I'm not saying we as like I make these decisions, but I'm just thinking from the people that's above me, right? Like, how can I know what to plan for when people weren't traveling last year? And that's all we have to do is go off from a year before because we make our 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 plans based on what's happened previously. Um, next year, if nothing changes, then that's a problem, right? If we're not extending breaks for calendar years, because as you know, at the beginning of the year, every school has to present a calendar to their district that has to be approved. Mm -hmm. And you can't make changes on the fly like that because then it's gonna increase the school year. So either you're gonna take away spring break or people are gonna be teaching in the summer. And then guess what's gonna happen, Mendy? Our colleagues are going to complain again. So some, some, in some cases, we're in a lose-lose situation. So I think there's a, a little bit of grace that has to be given on both sides and all sides within this thing, right? Like as school districts, we don't know, was the mayor bogus for denying the fact that they shouldn't go remote, remote learning? Yeah, that's a bad look because it doesn't show that we're doing what's best for kids. But the very next day we made a decision for Chicago Public School Sports to continue. That's the craziest thing that I've ever heard in my life because the kids are wearing their mask as like my beard. They're not wearing it over their nose. Yeah. And in that basketball, is, they're not playing virtual basketball. I'm sticking right. you one-on-one. -on -one. I'm face guarding. So like- it, But that it, decision it, it wasn't made by teachers to continue sports. That was not the teacher's decision. The, but whoever made that decision, whoever made that decision could have made the same decision for remote learning or hybrid learning. What I, I'm saying is that it just goes back to, for me, B, it goes back to bureaucratic mess. Like mm -hmm. I want to show- that my education is better. I want to show that my thought process, process is better. I want to show that my decision is better. What I choose is better. And I want to show who's got the power, right? And so I there think that's, that's for me, like, I don't, I don't care if it's a teacher standpoint, an admin standpoint, a district standpoint. At the end of the day, like, we're, we're in this thing for kids. And I'm not saying that we have to sacrifice our lives because nobody on this podcast, and I don't know, I'm just making an assumption, but nobody's living in a bubble. I'm not growing my own food. I go to the grocery store every week. I leave my house every week. So nobody in the world is in a bubble. Now, if, I, if you show me a teacher that says like, no, I'm in a bubble. I'm growing my tomatoes out back. I got a cow in the living room. 
I'm doing all of that. Some people are leaving their houses and they live in their lives, but we pick and choose where we want to accept the risk. Every day you get in your car, you're at risk for getting into a car accident. Every time you talk to a cell phone, you're at risk for cancer. You know what I'm saying? So like, we got to, we just got to mitigate the risk. I understand being in a classroom in close quarters, um, it, 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 it heightens the risk, but everything that you do, you're at risk. So we just have to figure out where the, where do we draw the line at, you know? Cause I'm at this, I'm at this, I'm in the same risk. I have an underlying condition and guess what? I'm greeting my kids at the door every single day. I wash my hands every 30 minutes. Literally my hands stay ashy Monday through Friday. Well, first like of all, I'm going to send you some of this nice hand cream I have. To help out <laughs> um, but uh, second, second of all, I, I'm and I agree with you. We can't. We have to just mitigate the risk. And that's I think all any teachers are asking for, or at least the teachers in the bodies of the union. That's what we're asking for. We have to mitigate that risk. And, you know, like you said, well, I've been in a grocery store since 2019. I get Instacart is my best friend. Bring it, leave it outside my door. I leave it set there. I spray it with Lysol, close my door again. I wait and then I bring it. I have to live like that though, because I don't, you know, I take immunosuppressant drugs. So I, I don't go to the grocery store. I have my medicines delivered. I mean, I do everything I can on my end to eliminate as many possibilities as I can. All I want from my district is to, do as much as they can now it is a problem like you said here in dc and you know i i hear you know i i hate to keep saying this but here in dc there are things in place to help we can test for free at any fire station almost every day of the week you can look online and figure out where where it is or call the 311 information line and they can tell you these fire stations are open in every ward of the city there's at least one or two fire stations open you can go they will swab you and let you know immediately. Um, you can go to any library and pick up a, a rapid test to bring home. And they're given two boxes per person every single time you go. You can also get take home PCR tests, which you take the same day, log it in, go drop it off. You get your results within a day or two, you know, as long as they're not like overwhelmed. But every city needs to be doing You can go to a fire station to get two free tests? Yeah, you can go to the fire station and get free PCR and rapid tests here. And you can I'm go to the I'm library. To and I'm going to every fire station and I'm collecting them, come back to Chicago, selling them joints. But a lot of <laughs> teachers in D.C. go to the fire station every Friday as soon as they leave at 3.30 and get their test because it's wow. how they make sure they're okay. Yeah, um, but the problem is every district's not doing that. Right, right. and like that's what I'm saying is like it needs to be taken care of at the city level everywhere if you everywhere and they have to stop te treating teachers like we're babysitters we are basically first responders like everybody else you know when everybody else was virtual and sitting at home and making sourdough bread we were teaching and trying to figure out how i was supposed to teach my my lesson on you know i i bought more of my books on kindle so i could share my screen while i was teaching my english lessons my reading lessons and everybody else is at home talking about, oh, I made, I made sourdough bread today and I watched the view. Well, good for you. I'm so happy. Yeah. <laughs> but everybody didn't, everybody, and we don't take an oath, but if we took an oath, it'd be different, right? Like if we were firefighters, I, I don't want to do a firefighter's job. I don't want to do a doctor's job. I don't want to be that close with COVID um, right. where I got to put on all these things. Right. Um, but we, we, we but took an we oath are. to do something. We took an oath to do, not an oath. We, we have a, a due diligence to do something different. Um, and unfortunately, our job as educators, as my great grandma used to call the church, we're the lighthouse of the community and we're the hospital of the community. So our job is just not teaching. Um, when I was in Chicago public schools, I used to go and open the building or work. My principal used to ask me to work on spring break, on Christmas break. Why? Because it was to help keep my kids out of trouble. So even if I'm coming in and we just watching YouTube or watching them play basketball or whatever the case may be, and I think a lot of our educators are burned out and they, they're moving away from that. They're moving away from that where it, it, it becomes less about the kid and more about um, them personally. And I don't blame them for that. But if that is you and your moment, then we got to move out the way and let some more people come into the education system that's ready to take on that. Because unfortunately, with these unions, they protect a lot of people that 
can't actually be fired at will or be asked to, hey, you should retire right now or you should do these things. So there's a lot of different policy levels. I think, B, you touched on it pers- uh, earlier, or Amanda, like at the end of the day, as long as state education agencies are still requiring state testing and all those other things, that's what puts a lot of pressure on too. Because we know we're in a pandemic, but you also still telling me that my test results count. So as a right. principal, as a principal, what am I supposed to do? I'm balancing now the mental health of my kids, the mental health of my educators, my mental health versus the academic achievement. Because all of our jobs depend on this. Because if we don't get these results, then they're going to cut funding and they're going to do these things. So like there are a lot of levels to blame. And I think Chantelle goes back. If parents in public schools made a little bit more noise, the same way that those white folks don't want to be at home with their kids, the noise will get to the right people and they'll make the right decisions. But yeah, we but also what, know that- I would push back at what cost, right? Um, and again, I'm looking at it from a very rich white perspective. Those people or those parents are willing to put their kids in harm's way and those teachers in harm's way and those administrators in, their, in harm's way so they can be at home and watch The View or you know go into the office or whatever it is they want to do, like these parents aren't concerned. They're not concerned with their children's health, the administration's health, or the teacher's health. They're only concerned with what is going on with them. So I would say, you know, and I'm not saying parents shouldn't get involved in CPS. They 1000% should. But from my perspective, at what cost? Like they're they're not looking at it from a safety perspective. They want to go to Mexico. No, no. What I'm saying is that when I say this, I say that I know for a fact that the parent engagement and involvement in most urban city schools is not as high as it is with the public school. So what I say is that even if those parents didn't want their kids in school, they're still going to make enough noise at that Catholic school and the Catholic school is going to adjust to what their constituents want. So at what cost? The cost of what's best for your kid. There are some parents who want to advocate for my kid should be virtual or my kid needs to be in because they're autistic. They have a special disability. They need that social interaction. But a voice is better than no voice, right? No matter, what you're advo- no matter what you're advocating for, I'm not saying advocate for kids to be at home versus not being at home. What I'm saying is to have a voice. There are no, what you don't hear in CPS is what's the parent's voice. All you hear is what the union says, what the mayor says, what this person says, but you don't hear what parents are saying. But if you go to social media, you hear what some parents are saying. Some parents are saying, I want my kid at home. And that's, that's your choice because that's the beautiful thing about education because you have a choice. But if you're not saying anything at all, then that's a problem. Chantel, like education has been terrible in public schools for a long time. And if parents advocate for advocate for more um, engaging curriculum for better teachers, then there would be a change in the shift. But because our parents don't say anything, then it's no news is good news for the people because parents employ us, to be honest. Parents and boys. Push back though. I don't think that it's the parents aren't saying anything. I think it's that they only care about the parents with money. And that's across the nation. Parents with money, even in public school systems. I've never worked in districts with with parents with money. I've never worked in districts with parents with money. Like when I worked in Chicago public schools, I was at Marshall. I was at Tilden. I was at Overton. When I worked in Texas, I was in third war at the dead end where the median income of my parents was 14,500. I'm in Highland right now, San Bernardino County. They got a video game named after this called Grand Theft Auto. My parents' median income in California is $22,000. And I I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. What I'm saying is that the decisions that are made at the district level are not made Regardless, your your entire school full of parents could stand up and scream at the top of their lungs. They don't care because they have no money. The decisions that are made at a district level across the nation come from the few parents that are always got money and are rattling the cage. It could be three of them versus 150 over here. The three with money will always get what they want. That's true. Always. I, and I, and I, I also mean, want to be I can't fair. say that because I've never seen it. Well, what I'll also say is that somebody who's made twenty thousand and makes way more than that now, right? How much? How much? More? I have. Shut up. <laughs> I have far more <laughs> bandwidth at my current economic level than I did at twenty thousand. So I want to be very fair to these parents, right? In these poor districts, I live very close to Bradwell, so I still live in a poor CPS district, right? Those parents don't have necessarily the bandwidth to be rallied in the cage at school. For a lot of them, 
it's enough that their kid is getting educated and they're able to feed them every day. It takes an extra whatever amount of time for them to be able to go to the school and say, you're a shitty teacher, do better. They don't Mm -hmm. have the bank, not just that they don't have the time, they may not have the mental space with whatever they're dealing with. And this provides that. when they all stand up together, even when they are all standing together, the district poop, we don't want to hear from you. It does not matter. And they are working. These are families that are, many of them are working. The parents are working two jobs, three jobs, four jobs. You know, schools very, very, very rarely do schools go out of their way to make it convenient for parents to participate in schools. I know, we agree. That's a problem. Parents with money, they bend That's over backwards to make sure things work but for them. I think, man, I think the perspective matters, right? The perspective, you're in DC at a predominantly white situation, right? That that's not the same thing in public schools. So the parents at Walter Payton, Whitney Young, Kim Wood, maybe. But I taught at have. schools where kids didn't have money. And that's what I, I think we're saying the same thing. We are. We're I just think, getting to the destination a little different. It's no, the same I, and, thing. And I, you know, I fully agree that there needs, but what I'm saying is that until the leadership, whether it be your mayor or my mayor or whoever's mayor, the city council, your school boards, whatever, actually give a damn about what these families in lower economic statuses have to say or to the educational just giving the visual optics of it you know like oh look at what we did for this school over here great that's one school in a whole entire ward what are you doing for the rest of that ward until they stop giving the visual optics of it and actually care what these families have to say and are doing things to help them then nothing's going to change and I, I, cause I can tell you, we went back in person way before we should have. It was a virtual option. You know, kids could stay virtual or they could go back to school. But most of that was driven by parents with money. The parents without money around here were like, we don't want our kids back in school yet. There's no vaccine. There's no this. There's no that. So, but man, like, that's what I'm saying. That's that. That's that stakeholder group. My stakeholder group, we came back last year in the fourth quarter. And I was, I'm not going to lie. I was a staunch advocate of why are we doing this with only eight weeks of school left? Like, this is dumb. This is stupid. But then I also had to go back and reflect. I had more student suicide attempts last year than I've ever seen in public schools. I had a little girl who actually tried to attempt suicide while on camera in the middle of her English class. So we brought back kids that were at the most risk, kids who had IEPs, kids who had severe social and emotional issues. I had a kid that overdosed, right? So like at the end of the day for that particular group of parents that worked, they needed that because the kids that were experiencing that trauma were experiencing that trauma right in the background of their own home. So they needed to get out of the house. And I get so that. like for that group that worked, but there are also, there's a group of parents. And I, once again, I can't say that I, I can speak for influent parents because that's not there. What, what's happening is, is that there's not one centralized person in these school districts that are able to be, to help parents advocate for themselves. It's a voice of the voiceless. So there's a reason why Ben Crump is seen for every time that there's an issue with police brutality and Jesse Jackson and all this. There's nobody like that for education. Until that happens, where somebody is able to rally these groups of parents around and they can put together a message that is one in cohesion, I guarantee you they will change. Because all it's going to take is one group of parents from public schools to say, I am taking my kid out of Tilden and I'm going to put them at so-and-so charter school. It's going to be a problem. Because now you got to close that building. You got to displace those employees. It be, it makes noise, guys. Like at the end of the day, in education, we don't look at this as a business, but it is. Parents and students are our customers. And if we don't take care of our customers and our customers leave, then it's out. If, if, uh, if private schools were more affordable, there would be more parents that have their kids in private schools. It's, that's just the reality of the situation. Public school is what it is because it's free. That's why. It's free. Well, so if I don't, is your charter school is your charter school a, is it is free, correct, or is it? Paid? It's a free public school, right? It's and so, and school. most, yeah, and uh, the charter schools around here are the same way. They are just non-traditional public uh, charter schools. They are run by guess who? DCPS. So kids that switch that's a conflict yeah that's a conflict exactly well that's a conflict of interest when i say run by i mean they over they're governed yeah they're governed by chartering board has to answer to dcps although they have their own set of rules and 
full disclosure, I helped start a charter school. You know, it was one of the best ones in the city for a very, very long time. You know, full disclosure, we went, went through the chartering board and everything like that. But people don't have options. The charter schools fill up so quickly. The public schools are doing, you know, the, you know, the, the people on the ground, the teachers, the, the, the janitors, the front office staff, the, the, the lunch people, even most administrators, I won't say all because, you know, you can't say all for anything, are doing the damn best that we can with the bare minimal that we have, even in the affluent schools, you know, even in my school where where we have really, you know, we, our copy machine works and we have all the paper we want and blah, blah, blah. I still buy stuff for my classroom. I still buy books. I still buy supplies. I still, because you have to, you just, there's just no way around it until we actually put these kids first and put the teachers first. Cause we're not even talking about the fact that there's a mass exodus of teachers happening because everybody is tired. They're tired. I love teaching. It is in my, it's in my blood. It's in my soul. I used to wake up even on my worst day when I was hurting from head to toe, where my medicine just wasn't working and my joints were flamed up and everything else. And I still crawled out the door to go to work because I love my job. And I can tell you there are days that I wake up and I think, oh, geez, I can't do this today. I, I have to literally have a whole conversation with myself with God, convinced <laughs> I put my bottle of wine <laughs> yeah. in the refrigerator with the note that says, see you when I get home, because <laughs> I can't, because I can't. And there are so many teachers, teachers, there's a whole hashtag on TikTok of teachers talking about I quit. You can go on there and look at teacher resignations. They are videoing it. And there are so many videos that it, it could take you a long time to get through them because people are tired of the extra tests of districts treating us like it is an abusive relationship. It really right. is. Yeah. It's abusive. Let me jump right. in here. I think you made some, some excellent points. I want to touch on a couple of things that, I, that, that both of you said during this great conversation. I think, um, so we're talking about affluent parents versus poor parents. I think what we, what we missed a beat was parents that are working two, three jobs needed their kids to be in school because they're working two, three jobs, right? So... Uh, they're not there to give the support. So my wife and I work, uh, but you know, I was uh, she's she's in the medical field, so she was frontline out there every day. But I was able to work from home because we were quarantined or whatever, and it gave us it afforded us the opportunity for me to be present in the in their in their classroom in a virtual classroom. A lot of parents don't have that opportunity. If you were driving a, a bus, if you were conducting a CTA train, if you were whatever you were doing, um, you know, you didn't have that opportunity. So you left these kids to their own devices. Uh, and their devices are better when they're in front of a classroom than when they're at home doing what they need to do. So I wanted, I wanted to touch on that. I also wanted to say that on the financial end, everything is money, right? At the end of the day, even education. Uh, DeBass touched on it. If, if there aren't kids in schools, these schools get closed, they lose funding, so on and so forth. So some of these uh, decisions are private schools, Sean. If these parents are making these decisions, but the school also knows they got to acquiesce to these these requests because that's who's paying pull their salary. kid out. And if they're pulling their kid out, it's a, so all of it, it comes back to the money at the end of the day um, in some way, shape, or form. I'm not saying that people don't care about the kids or care about the parents, care about the teachers. At the end of the day, you, if you can trace it back to the dollars, it usually tells you why that decision was made. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, you all raised some great points. It's been an awesome conversation. I, I only wanted to keep you for this hour, but I do want to give you some final thoughts and, and set this up as the question to close us out. Where do we go from here? Where do we move forward? What's what's the? I know that's a loaded question. I only gave you a final thought to talk about it, but like what, is, <laughs> what, what, what do you think immediately are the next best steps? And if you want to conjecture and make it a little bit more long term, how do we move forward um, and try to encompass the best for all parties involved? Uh, Daz, I'm gonna start with you. So I think we have to, we talk a lot about choice. Um, I think the pandemic gives us a great opportunity to provide individualized learning, right? One of the things that's supposed to be great about teaching. Um, in order for that to happen though, we got to make some changes in structure around mindset, policies, and procedures. Um, and so I think it's hard to change while you're in the game. So I think the best bet right now is to struggle through this next year of virtual slash hybrid learning. And there needs to be some serious thought 
around what systems need to go into place next year, thinking that we're still in the pandemic. So are we gonna have a separate structure for kids who wanna go virtual? Because a teacher being able to teach hybrid is the toughest thing in the world. To be able to give that kid that individual attention that's in front of you and on the screen, that's tough. So, but then you also like state laws, you can't separate kids. So it's just, I just think there needs to be a, a team put together of strong educators that include teachers, right? That's ran and driven by teachers in each state, each city, and let them design what this looks like and then get, find the funding to go behind it. If not, we're gonna continue to have this pissing contest and kids are gonna struggle for the next couple of years. And I'm gonna go live in a Hawaii or Africa where I ain't gotta worry about a kid that don't have an education knocking me over the head for my Jeep Grand Cherokee. I hear you, brother. Monda? Um, I think the most important thing that we have to do right now is stop thinking about we're gonna go back to normal. There is no normal. We're not going back. This is this is post pan post COVID. We can't even say post pandemic because we're still in it. And so every decision we make needs to be with the idea of how do we operate in this new normal? So we basically have to understand that this isn't going anywhere, at least not anytime soon. So we need to be thinking about the fact that every single time we have a, a, a prolonged break, not a long weekend, not like three days, but like, you know, we're gonna be out of school for four days or more. We need to be planning to not be back for at least a week, if not two afterwards. How does that look? How do we help teachers make that happen? You need to start paying your educators more because we're doing more. We're doing more than we've been doing ever before. We already work outside of our contracted hours. If teachers actually work to the rule, nothing would ever get done if I cut myself off at 3.30. So we need to start thinking about that. And we need to start, you know, districts and cities have to stop looking to the the parents and the educators to do everything and actually step up their game. It needs to be one-on-one -on -one devices for every kid, you know, whether it be iPads for the pre-K through, you know, second grade kids and then laptops for everybody else. Um, cities need to be providing free Wi-Fi or hotspots for kids or whatever it needs to be so that those moments can happen. And just to stop blaming teachers for everything because we're out here doing the best we can with the limited abilities we have and our families and our friends suffer, you know, for us given everything that we've got because it's hard for us to believe, you know, my friends know come September, they're not gonna see me again till December. And then they don't see me again till June. We have to start really thinking about how we're gonna do this going forward in this new normal and stop pretending like things are ever gonna be the same again. Hey, John. Um, I agree with both Amanda and Derek. I think everybody, and I don't think this is just with education. I think everybody needs to stop trying to go back to 2018. I think everybody needs to accept that this is a new virus that we're going to learn to live with until we die. And we all need to pivot, right? Not just the education, because I do think overall education needs an overhaul because we do have a new normal and people are getting sick and they are dying and nobody wants to deal with this. I think there needs to just be a re-examine of how to educate kids in general. And we also need to look at how to support the parents in this new normal, having kids in hybrid, what their companies can do to support them, whether they are bus drivers or whether they are CEOs. It just needs to be, in my opinion, an entire world overhaul. Everybody needs to stop trying to go back in time and just adjust and I don't really like short-term planning. I prefer much long-term planning. We just need to look at how we can deal with this going forward forever. Oh, Miss Project Manager. Sometimes you gotta <laughs> in front of you so you can get to what's ahead. <laughs> I, I mean, again, as a PM, I do do short, but I always hate short-term planning. It's always just very short-sighted. I much rather look at how to go forward in the long haul because that's always gonna pan out to be much better. I hear you, I hear you. Listen, thank you guys for spending this, this early part of uh, your Saturday morning, afternoon with us. My panelists, I appreciate you. Wonderful insights. Both of you all are passionate educators. I appreciate you and love you in that regard. And as friends, thank you for joining me. Uh, everybody that joined and watching the, co the commentary was, was lit up. Uh, I hope that if you are watching this late, you got something out of it, even if and that, we couldn't get to your comments uh, during the show. Uh, join me Wednesday for my final show, seven o'clock Central Time, in the studio on the What's In It For The Black People Network. 
uh, not my final show, period. This is my final show in that in that studio. Yes, be clear. Uh, let's be clear. Let's be clear. <laughs> it is on podcast list forever. Just not in that studio. <laughs> but uh, we're going we gonna to send that one out with a bang. Have a great rest of the weekend. Stay safe. Stay warm. We'll see you next time. Love you. Appreciate you, B. Appreciate you, brother. Eric, I'm sending you my resume because I want to move somewhere warm. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. There it is. There it is. Let's do it. Made. <laughs> Network. Yeah, let's Network. Do it. Let's do it. Chantel, I'll send that information to be about the mic. Please do. Thank you.